0: The tree. At the cross, that's what we as Christians are about, that sacrifice at the cross. What gets each one of us to the cross? I want to talk about that just a little bit before we start, let's bow our heads. Lord, be with me today. Use me as an instrument to touch everyone here that they will get something from this that they can attach and hold on to and grow with. I pray in your name, amen. Today I want to be a little bit of an historian and go back, because each one of us have history, and the history is what makes us. And that's what's getting us to where we need to go, where we want to go, where we should go. So I've put together some dates in, in my life, and these are by far is not an exhaustive list, but just some, some dates that uh, were important in all of our lives and making us as, as Americans and as Christians and as who we are, getting us to that point. The first date is February 20, 1962. John Glenn became the first American uh, to go into space. He was the third person, but the first American to go into space. He orbited the Earth three times. I was in kindergarten, and Miss Mitchell, our teacher, brought in, and it was the first portable TV I'd, I remember seeing. And she brought it in and sat on our little table there, and we all jammed around there to watch this historic event and we got to see the the aircraft take off, and then they talked a little bit, and then it splashed down. And I remember them bouncing in the uh, because it floated in the water. I see from Chuckles. There's some other people that can remember that. That what a day for America! That 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 was a great day. The next the next date is November 22, 1963. President. Kennedy was, was shot in, in uh, Dallas, still don't know exactly the whole story, but he was, he was shot. We didn't have a TV at the time, but uh, for some reason, my sister-in-law decided that was a good time to give birth, and so my sister and I had to go and uh, uh, babysit, so we got to watch the, the event on TV, and I was one of the lucky ones that remembered seeing John John. Salute as his dad went by in the gasket. On a happier note, July 20th, 1969. It's fun watching people's minds working. Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Now, this was a big day for me, because my name Neil, and he even spelled it right. Uh, he's up kicking dirt on the moon that That was huge, and it, what even made it a bigger event for me is I was watching it again with my sister, and I had something great to hang my name on because she has a name in the uh, of a book in the Bible, Ruth, so I had something that I could compete with her a little bit, and we'll never forget the one small step for Man, one giant leap for mankind. Man, now we had Neil. Armstrong, Neil Sadaka, Neil Armstrong, and me. Oh, <laughs> thank you. August 16, nineteen seventy-seven. Elvis Presley died. I was building benches in the greenhouse, and all the news was talking about Elvis Presley's death, and all they were interviewing all these screaming crying, wailing females. I just didn't get it. (laughs) But who can sing He Touched Me better than him? In the garden, no one, in my opinion, can sing it better than him. July, or excuse me, January, December 8, 1980, John Lennon was shot. I was working in Iowa at the time, came back. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Uh, I, I didn't get it. All John wanted was to give peace a chance. He wanted the world to have a better place. Why shoot him? I didn't get it. March 30th, 1981, 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm driving down the, the hill in the Seymour, making, uh, going on a delivery to deliver plants, and the radio broke in and said that Ronald Reagan had been shot. He'd been in office 69 days. He's the only president to live or survive a shooting. And the big ruckus at the time then was who was in charge when he was in the hospital? Was it George, Pre- Vice President George Bush or the Secretary of, of, um, of State, Alexander Haig? Again, I didn't get it. John Hinckley Jr. shot him just because he wanted to impress Jody Foster. You know, what's going through people's minds? September 1, 1983, Korean airline KE 007 was shot down, 240 crew members and passengers. It was shot down by a Russian major and pilot who was filling in for night duty because the next morning he was supposed to give a speech to an elementary school on peace. That almost started a war between Russia and Korea. January 28, 1986, Challenger 25 lifted off. I remember watching that. I'd seen a lot of them take off because, man, I was there for the first one. Seeing it going off and I'm watching the plume of smoke go up, 73 seconds later, there's three plumes. And I'm thinking, I don't ever remember seeing three before. And there was that silence, and all of a sudden you hear, Houston, we have a problem. August 2, 1990, Desert Storm started. And I remember, I was it was on a Thursday night, and I was on my way into the Green Bay Church School gym to play my weekly volleyball game. And just as I was turning in, they broke in and said that uh, it is no, no more desert storm or desert shield. It is desert storm. And I remember pulling in there and thinking, "Is this the end of the world? Is this the Armageddon that's going to happen in the Middle East?" Saddam Hussein said that he was a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was going to build up Babylon to its original glory with his massive army, and his huge ego. But he found you can't fight planes and rockets with just a rifle and knives, especially when your troops are hiding in a tunnel. January 19, 1995, the O.J. Simpson trial. Took nine months. It was the longest criminal case in in California history. He was found guilty after four hours of deliberation. And Darlene and I got caught up in all this stuff. See, if I had life to do it all again, I would have loved to have been an attorney. And I, I like watching things, uh, watching the maneuvering and stuff. And it got to be even more interesting when we met Greta Van Sistern. On the radio, or on, on, uh, Back then, she was on CNN. She's from Appleton, Wisconsin, and she was one of the talking heads coming on there. It was enjoying watching her, Robert Shapiro, uh, Robert Kardashian, and my favorite, Barry Sheck. So, Mr. Fung, where's the evidence? How many knew about DNA before that? Not many people. And that great saying, "If it doesn't fit, you must have quit," that was a gutsy move. Then 9 11, 2001, I was sitting in my office filling out resumes, and I had the radio or the TV on, and they broke in and said, "There's a fire in, in uh, Tower number two in the World Trade Centers and they were going live so I stopped what I was doing I went over and started watching it and Katie Couric was interviewing someone I don't remember who and they were sitting facing each other and they had a flat screen in, in between them and she was looking at the person she was interviewing and as she was talking and I'm thinking in my mind okay there's a fire in there I know a little about buildings and stuff that there's a water tank up there somewhere that'll douse out the flames. It wasn't, you know, that big of a deal. And as she's talking, live, you see the other aircraft and run into tower tower number one. Then everybody knew there was an event. Everything came to a, a standstill. All tall buildings were evacuated. Airlines were grounded. Another before they got him grounded, crashed into the Pentagon. Another one crashed into Pennsylvania. When I heard the one in Pennsylvania crashed in the field, I I said immediately, I says, there was heroes on that plane. And as we found out, there was. Football stopped. Baseball stopped. Television was just news. And when they started getting back, I remember on late night, They didn't have their normal comedic monologue. They just went in. There wasn't a time to laugh. It was very sobering. Church attendance skyrocketed. People were scared. Then there was a tsunami in Indonesia, Thailand, and India, the Sri Lanka, December 26, 2004. It was on Friday night, and the next day I was to give up, stand up here, and uh, give remarks in Sabbath School. And at that time, they were saying the death toll they thought was going to be around fifty to seventy-five thousand. It ended up being one hundred thirty thousand dead, thirty-six thousand missing, five hundred four thousand displaced. And the economic uh, damage that was done was five billion dollars. Many people were asking, "Why did God let this happen? Did He let it happen, or did He allow it?" He didn't make it. Then getting closer, August 5, 2010. I think this is extremely interesting. The Chilean miners trapped after a landslide for 69 days, 2,100 feet underground, never knowing if they would see the light of day or their families. On October 13 began the rescue I was on the road in, in northern Illinois, and the radio kept breaking in. Of course, I listen to talk radio when I'm down there, and they kept breaking in giving us updates on everything that's going on because there's cameras all over everywhere. And they were getting ready to drop the first rescue team member in in the cage going down. And I remember hurrying to get to the hotel room and sitting on the end of the bed just watching this. Is it going to get stuck going down there? If it gets stuck, then what? And I'm thinking, okay, I, I am a Christian, okay? Would I be willing to climb in net and go down? Interesting. But as we know, it worked out well. The miners trapped down there, they needed each other to survive. But that doesn't mean they all got along. It was a one for all, all for one until they got out. And then they went their separate ways. An interesting thing I was reading in the, the Adventist review is that the Adventist pastor, Carlos Para Diaz, is the one that arranged for all 33 minors to get a Bible. His congregation got together and got the Bibles and took them over to the, to the site. And there was, a, I can't pronounce their name, but there was, there was a musical group from Chile and they send a bunch of tapes down for them to listen to. I thought that was pretty neat. These are all important dates in history that most of us can relate to. Historians put a lot of interest in these events, and news talking heads are always trying to come up with new twists as to how these events changed lives and will continue to change lives. Tightened security at airports with pat-downs, pictures being taken of your entire body, cell phone tracking technology, our bank accounts being monitored, our Internet activity is, is kept track of, even tracking our cars, along with all the other things that we don't have a clue about. We have a family member that works in the military, and he's told us a few things, and past that he can't talk. But it's scary. you got your phone turned off, they can still track your cell phone. The only way you can stop is to take the battery out. If it's turned off, they, they and I don't know who the they is, but they can turn it on. I don't want to know who the they is. I, I remember years ago, someone that I, I knew quite well said, I don't want to have a TV in my, in my house because if I can see them, they can, they can see me. <laughs> well, this was back years ago, and he had an old tube TV that he had thrown out to begin with. But with electronics and stuff going on, you know, how many people know what Skype is? Yeah, okay, maybe he was smarter than I gave him credit for. If we want to grow as a person or as a group of people, we have to learn from our past. Look at the mistakes we have made. And that's where I have a problem. I look at the mistakes that I made. But don't look at the mistakes you made. Look at the mistakes that you made. And what did you learn from them? All these mistakes, all these triumphs, have had an effect, uh, an effect on our lives and on our kids' lives, on the people around us. It's these events, these obstacles, these triumphs, the debacles that make us who we are. We all have to learn. These are the things that shape us into what we are, make us better parents, children, coworkers, leaders. Again, someone that I regard with high esteem, was not always a Christian, lived an an interesting life. And when he came back in his life and wanted to be a Christian, one of the first things that he wanted to do was get involved in prison ministry because he hadn't been in prison, but he'd been in jail. He had lived a very interesting life that a lot of these people there had lived. I couldn't relate to them because I didn't have that past history. He did. He was able to get in there. He did not intimidate them. They didn't intimidate him. And he got baptisms out of it. I could have never done that. But that was his life experience. So what, what is history and what does it mean to each of us? Let's break it down into history, into his story, and into my story. What dates are the important ones in your life? First time you met your, your mate, your soulmate? Your first date? Your first kiss? The day you got your driver's license? Graduation from high school, college? What are the, why is it that most men don't remember anything about their wedding? But I, I remember something. I remember telling Pastor Wendt, I don't care what you do, but I want the short, condensed version. <clears throat> but they have memories. Me as you know, husband, fathers. We have memories of our, the birth of our children. Guys can remember their first car, how fast it would go, the size of the engine, the races they won. But they can't remember their wife's birthday or their anniversary. I don't want to get somebody in trouble. Though. But what dates? or any events are important maybe it's the death of a sibling friend parents aunt, uncle but we still have gotten to, we still haven't gotten to the most important date when and where were you when you when you came to the point where you wanted to turn your life over to the lord for some it's a single moment for others it takes a while for that light to come on and the holy the juices of the holy spirit to start flowing and we realize that there's more to life than just me and me alone. I had several moments in my life that helped shape me. It was kind of interesting today. Somebody came up to me and, and uh, said, You know, I'd want you to know that not everybody sleeps in church. That I got something and I was able to use it in a message. Now, I'm not going to say the person's name, but that was neat. And I appreciate that. That is one of those dates in someone's life that I was able to be a positive. And that's what we want. We we are all witnesses. We'd like to think it's all positive, but it's not always. When I was growing up, my mom was a Sabbath school teacher. I've said this before. I had to learn the memory verses every week. And at the, every 13th Sabbath, we were paraded up in front. And we would all stand up there and say the memory verses for, the 13th, uh, for the, all the 13 weeks. And I, I excelled in that. And I wish we still did that. That was my first step. My, I went to church school my whole life. So I got Bible classes every day. That was my second step. My third step was a camp meeting in 1967. And when I say camp meeting to the older folks, I mean the real camp meeting down in Portage. What, what the one is nice now the two. But in the summer of nineteen sixty seven, my best friend Larry and I, we got baptized together. And we didn't know each other at the time, but Darlene and her best friend Diane got baptized the same Sabbath. That was a big event. My fourth step, and a bigger one, was my sophomore year in the academy. And I got to spend a lot of time with Pastor Kay, the principal down there. And uh, we had a lot of one on one in his office, and it wasn't positive. And uh, one, one day, it was in the fall of the year, late in the fall, I was just coming out of uh, the classroom. And I heard my name. He says, Mishlo. And I turned around and said, I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) And he says, Come into my office. And he was kind of a gruff uh, voice with him. And he says, uh, Friday night is communion. And I want to take part with communion with. That was a moment. Because I was one of the least of these. And the leader of the school asked me to participate. And as I'm doing that, I don't remember the date. But I, I remember thinking back, and this is the Lord's Supper, when Jesus was, was washing the feet of his of his leaders, and they didn't get it. And I didn't get it. And when we got done, he prayed that I would use my ability as a leader to be positive. And I'm glad to say that uh, we didn't have too many more meetings after that. But it was interesting. He is a lifelong friend of, of Bill Scanlon. And every summer he comes up. And I have had the distinct pleasure of teaching Sabbath school when he's been here. And it's a blessing. That was one of those important dates in my life. The fifth step was in the fall of 79. And this is the reason why I never sit in the back row of a church anymore. After church, I was sitting there. And this lady came up, tapped me on the shoulder, and she says, I'm Sabbath school superintendent next week. And I would like you to have scripture and prayer. I says, okay. Okay. What would you like? What is the scripture reading that you want? She says, Oh, just go with anything that you've been reading or studying. That'll be fine. I said, Okay. But I didn't want her to know that I haven't been reading my Bible or studying my lesson on a regular basis. So I went home, and that week I started studying my my Sabbath school lesson. And I studied it every day. And I started reading my Bible because I wasn't going to get up and look like an idiot. And uh, the interesting part of that is the, that lady and I have spoke maybe five, six times since then. But it was another one of those moments that was pivotal in my life and in my family's life. Because I started studying. And from that I, st- I kept I was studying. I started teaching Sabbath school classes after that. I was able to share through teaching some of the things, the insights that I had growing up and another reason why I'm preaching. That's one of, those, one of those things in our lives. We are our life's experience. That is what makes us who we are. Many of us look back at our lives and think, if only I had done this or if I had done that. Or if God would have answered the prayer the way that I wanted it answered, things would have been different. But we too would have been different, and how we would have, how we would see things in our own lives and in others. We need those experiences to mold our characters, so we would know how to walk in someone else's shoes, how to feel the hurt and pain, and how to appreciate some of the good events in our lives, like family picnics in the park, holidays together with with grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. These are all things that make us. I look back at some of the advice that I have given to my sons, and if they would not have listened to me, how their lives could have been different, or if I would not have been so rigid in my own ideas, for them, maybe they would have had a better life. I won't know until I get to heaven, and I'm able to look back and see where Jesus and the angels have come in and save my life or save me from something that was just totally stupid then I can relate with George Bailey going over in The Wonderful Life Jesus' advice to us is to get to know me read about me, think about me walk with me on this earth and I will walk with you in the streets of gold there we won't have to worry about second guessing it'll only be harmony and glory where were you when Jesus made an impact on your life? Or are you still afraid to open your heart and let him in? He will only come in if the door is open. Once you let him in, he will change your world. Are you ready to change your history? Are you ready to change his story in your life? Today is the best day to start. There's 3750 promises. Let's open our Bibles to a couple of them. Let's go to Psalms 19, 12 to 14. Who can concern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Give your servant also from within sins, from willful sins. May they not rule over me then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And here's the impact, verse 14. Psalms 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, that's not saying all my actions. That's not saying I'm going to be perfect. But it's asking me the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing. 1 Corinthians 15. Don't worry, we're not going to look up all 3,700. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, See, each one of these is not telling you it's going to be perfect, but it's giving you a hint of, of the reward. Like in the song the Gaithers were saying, at the cross. It's bringing you to the cross where I first met the Lord. My burdens were carried away. 2 Timothy 4, 6. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure this is Paul talking. He's already poured out. He's poured himself out as a drink offering. He's saying, I'm, I'm almost exhausted from, from being here and working. But here's where it gets interesting. In verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, that's one verse, but with three strong messages. I have fought a good fight. That means it's not easy. That means he's been working at it. That means if you're working at it, you've had steps forward, you've had some steps backward, but you're progressing. I have finished the race. It's the, the race. If you're in a race, what is a race? How many people can win a race? So it's a competition. Well, everyone, okay. But it's still it's a competition. To be a competition, that means... Someone won, someone lost. Think of the race, there's three people it's you, Christ, and Satan. Or you can think of them as your coach. I have kept the faith, and that's the big thing. It didn't say that I had the perfect life, it didn't say everything was smooth. It says I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then verse 8, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then one more, Joshua 24, verse 15, And this is something, as a, as a parent, I really take, take strong feeling with this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, everybody has to make their own choices. Our children have to make their own choices. But we as parents have the responsibility of guiding. We can't tell, but we can guide. I have immense respect for people in the military, but I would not have been a good military person. Because I have to question. I have to know why I'm doing something. That's why we as parents can't tell our kids, this is what you have to do. Now, when they're young, we can tell them, you cannot touch a stove. But as they get older, they have to make those choices. And the best way to make those choices is what are they seeing in us? What are they seeing in us? Are we walking the walk and talking the talk? We are the product of our memories and our past, the good times and the bad times. The God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. And as humans, that's hard for us to, to grasp. But then it, it's the same God. The God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. It is these experiences that, that make the difference in our lives and those around us. In 1973 an old man told me, it's not who you are in this life that counts, it's who you know. My question today is, who do you know? And more importantly, who knows you? When I was a kid growing up, the head elder there at the end of every Sabbath would quote numbers 6, 24 to 27, May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Lord, be with us this Sabbath. And I hope that each one of us today can think back and see that that moment or the combination of moments, and if they haven't, make that moment, Lord, where they have come to the cross and seen the importance that there is more to life than just me as a person, and that we don't have to be alone. I pray in your name, amen.